Hi, I'm Melanie Huggard. Welcome to Eavesdropping, a conversation between two life consultants where we talk about the questions that can be scary. These are conversations that spark curiosity, insight, perspective, and breakthrough. This podcast might trigger you, and I actually hope that it does. I hope that it triggers you into growth. Let's dive in. Hey friend, I'm excited to be here because I have a very special guest who I've never had on the show before and (laughs) she's laughing. She's laughing. I don't know why she's laughing, but she is. (laughs) Anyway, this friend is Rebecca Bender. Hi everyone. (laughs) Rebecca, thanks for coming on the, the podcast with me. We actually did try one recording and my recording failed that's why i'm laughing and it's like we've never had her on before except yesterday when we tried (laughs) to record and i was fine though we're here and today i have wine so (laughs) and yeah this will be the first time they get to hear you not necessarily the first time that we've recorded (laughs) yeah yeah it's all good i was just laughing it was so good i was so bummed it was was so good. good It was so good. It's all good. It'll be better today. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for being such a great friend and coming back on. Of course. (laughs) Well, um, for you guys who don't know Rebecca, um, I met Rebecca years ago when um, through a mutual friend and I ended up working for her. I worked for her in her nonprofit for about five years and I still do... um, things with her and her nonprofit. Um, I'm a coach in one of her, in her program, Elevate Academy. And Elevate Academy is the first and largest online platform for survivors of trafficking. Um, when I online first, school. Online school. She, um, when I first joined her, it was a mentor program online, first ever. And um, one of the things Pre-COVID. I Pre, yeah, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. No one was doing it back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is back when uh, people weren't doing things online. It was really, yeah. it was really in- ingenuity, uh, ingenuitive. It's the end of the day. I'm gonna lose words. Um, <laughs> it was really great, like so ingenious of you to think about it, and um, you had gotten that idea. I think you should share the story because I think it's better when you say it, but share how you got the idea yeah I was finishing my I shouldn't say finishing I was probably right in the middle of getting my master's degree online because I lived in a community where there wasn't any universities that had the major that I was interested in Mm -hmm. and I can remember um I was speaking a lot my nonprofit hadn't totally formalized I was just more of like a contractor as a 1099, just as a speaker. And um, I, I can remember uh, survivors started to reach out and ask me to mentor them. And like, how did you get, how did you create a training? What do you try? Like, how do you do it all? You know, like, how do you put it together? And I can remember one morning just sitting at my computer, finishing my, my class and thinking, if I can get a master's online, I could mentor online. And I could possibly be the only survivor who lives in a community where services don't exist. And so originally I was targeting survivors of human trafficking that lived 
maybe in more rural areas that didn't have drop-in centers and, you know, residential homes and transitional yeah. programming and wraparound individualized care management plans. And, you know, like mm -hmm. we have so much of those in so many large cities today, but gosh, 2014. Yeah. So eight years ago when we first started, no one, for one, there wasn't that many anti-trafficking orgs eight years ago as there are today. And two, there was definitely not a focus in uh, more rural areas. And so, yeah, I launched with five on Skype and Moodle and <laughs> <laughs> five of us uh, just on some Facebook, like, hey, starting a mentoring program. I wrote a 16 week curriculum because that's what it m matched for a regular semester in college. And yeah. um, and now we've grown to well over a thousand survivors uh, spanning 538 U.S. cities and 14 countries. We now have seven classes for you to choose wow. from, variety of faculty, all of which are survivor leaders, post-grad opportunities, job shadowing, coaching from professional life coaches like Melanie Huggard. <laughs> and um, it's just such a shock sometimes to see what it's grown into. It's really at a place um, where it could stand on its own as its own yeah. company now. It's, it's so amazing. cool to see. It's it's like, it feels like I've seen my baby grow up. Yeah. How it feels. It's amazing. I feel like the auntie that's got to watch this happen. <laughs> it's so fun. It's really fun. I'm ready for my next thing, but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, anyone who wants to learn or hear about anti-trafficking stuff from you can do that by joining your Instagram, which is. I'm Rebecca Bender, just the letters I and the letter M. There's no A in there, just I'm, I'm. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm Rebecca Bender. <laughs> yeah, we post anything about our nonprofit, our programs, our e-courses, our books, our yeah. trainings, um, events, anything that we have, we post on there. So please give us a follow um, yeah. if you want to learn more. Yeah, and so, yeah, friend, if you want to go learn more, do that. You can also um, probably find some of her speeches and things online she's a great dynamic speaker I love hearing Rebecca speak Aww. um I got to hear that a lot traveling with with her and um doing work with her so that was great I still love it I actually went she was two hours away and I was like I'm gonna come <laughs> it was back, so fun yeah back we just May. were in yeah, yeah we just were in Ashland together at the Southern Oregon Women's Leadership Conference mm -hmm. that was really fun to yeah. have you come all the way I know it's so fun. So miss traveling with you. I miss it too. So um, I don't want to talk about anti-trafficking stuff today. So that's why I kind of wanted to. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about work, but I like other things too. <laughs> yes. Yes. You are very multifaceted. There's so much more you can share on as well. And so I wanted to talk more about that and mainly like, jumping off of how you've inspired me personally, just getting to be in your world um, and then growing into a, a friendship with you. I, um, I remember back when I first started working with you, gosh, there's many things we could talk about. One is how I discovered that my mom was human trafficked. Yes. And, and maybe I want to do a whole separate podcast on that. Um, you should. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do a separate podcast on that. And then um, the second thing was one of the one of the times that you came to me and you asked, you said, Melanie, what makes your heart sing? And at that time, I was in such a survival place of life that 
I didn't, I couldn't answer that. I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there were things that I loved. There were things that I loved to do, but none of them hit the mark of what you were asking me. And so mm-hmm. now I am doing what makes my heart sing. But back then it was a, a difficult question to answer. And primarily because I was in such survival mode. And so having to do the work to, to connect more to dreaming, connect more to having a vision um, outside of just my autopilot life, right? Like living yeah. on a- autopilot and just doing what happens instead of making a plan, an intentional plan for my life. Yeah. So and that's something I watch you do all the time is make intentional plans and do pivots and take risks. And um, you're really, really good at that. So uh, thank you. Yeah, you are. So I'd love for you to talk about maybe the friend that's out there that doesn't know how to answer that question or they're just now answering that question. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things, um, it's so funny. I appreciate you saying those nice things about <laughs> watching me do that. I think recently I was at my, I think it was just yesterday morning, actually, I was um, in therapy with my therapist and we talked about how people that are really good with a lot of change and a lot of taking risk are actually really, it's actually a sign of really intense trauma that still may not be resolved because most people don't live in a space where you're constantly changing your job, changing position, changing projects. Yeah. It's, it's the, the high um, adrenals, high anxiety that becomes familiar. And so change um, is what you live in because it's familiar and I used to pride myself on like, well, that means we're innovative and we can pivot quickly and um, keeps me at the front of the, the pack in terms of innovation and ideas. And the hard part is like, because it, the things that I would rush into, the change that I would rush into was successful. And so then neurologically, my brain would go, see, reward. Yep. Right. And it's just crazy how we work, how our brains work like that. Um but as you probably well remember, the number one complaint of my staff was that I would change too much. And that <laughs> people couldn't keep up or we wouldn't wait to get metrics on a project prior to changing. We wouldn't take the pulse of any pilot. We'd just pivot again. And um, and thankfully, with, with a lot of trauma recovery in the last, I would say, two years, I feel like I'm definitely still a entre- serial entrepreneur and I'm still really good. I'm really okay with risk. Like I don't mind yeah. ambiguity and risk, yeah. but I take a little bit longer to calculate. I take a little bit longer to think through a plan mm-hmm. to maybe have a wise counsel review my plan, go ask a few people that have done it before so I can course correct the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just take a, I'm just a little bit more thoughtful and intentional now than, than jumping in as quickly. And I'm, I'm really grateful yeah. um, for that. But I, the thing I'll be honest, when I first started therapy, I didn't want to lose that though. I was a little yeah. bit worried. Yeah. yeah, and some, yeah. You know, something he said that really helped me was like, when we can work on your trauma, it's not that you'll lose capacity or drive. It's that those things will be focused on what you want to do, not what you have to do yeah. right now. You're living in what a feeling of, I have to, and we want you to live in a feeling of, I want to. And yeah. I thought that was a really good barometer yeah. Um, for me, I don't know if that's yeah. helpful, but yeah, I actually had the same experience when I went to Ken and I said, this was several years ago. I said, uh, I am so aware of everything all the time. My brain is hyperactive and I'm, 
I'm now I've done the work and I have the tools that I know this is like, there's something in my brain that won't turn off. Mm. Like this isn't any longer something that I need to like adjust or get a new something or other, right? A new tool, new this, a new that. There's something that needs addressed. It's like a switch is just stuck on because I'm, I feel at rest and at peace, but my brain is constantly looking for problems to solve. Mm -hmm. And I said, now that I've resolved problems in my own life, I'm looking at other people's lives. And um, I didn't have this primarily with my clients. I had it with like my loved ones, right? Where I felt the most danger if they were to suffer. And so um, I said, I got to go see somebody about this. And I did. I went and did brain spotting. And within four and a half months, five months, there was a boom. The switch got unstuck. I love that. But I was worried, like you, like, oh, my God, this is a superpower. What if I lose my superpower? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I one did of, it. Yeah. And one of the things that he was teaching me, too, was to check in with my, like, giving my energy a number and mm. then giving, like, my space and the, the world around me a number and seeing uh-huh. if my energy was matching what was happening around me. And if not, then to check in with myself in terms of like, why? Why do I feel at yeah. a seven right now when the room's at a three? What's what's yeah. happening personally? Is there something going on that I'm not recognizing? So I've just been trying to um, be thoughtful when I walk into spaces. And sometimes that means putting reminders on my phone. Sometimes that means yeah. putting a, a post-it on my computer until it becomes habitual. But, you know, you and I have been friends for so long now. It's like there's been so many situations where my trauma has gotten the best of me in terms mm-hmm. of my, my heightened emotional response to things. Yeah. And I wish that I had people around me more than I, than I did um, that could say like, Hey, time out. Are you okay? Like yeah. you're having a really heightened emotional response right now. Your energy's at a 10 and the situation's like a five. Mm-hmm. Um, are you okay? And yeah sitting with me to process, like, actually, no, I'm not okay. I feel like I'm about to have a freaking panic attack, or I feel like I'm about to punch yeah. somebody in the, in the mouth. And, yeah. and then being able to process why, what's going yeah. on, and, and letting that resolve. And, you know, that's, that's been hard, because you have to admit that your trauma yeah. response is still alive and well. And sometimes that damages relationships, whether it's professional or personal. Um, Girl, and- everybody's trauma response is alive and well. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's are. But, you know, it's it's just interesting as you get, I don't know, older or maybe you take more, maybe you get more therapy and you start to realize like, Mm -hmm. oh, I actually have an ability to kind of check in when I'm hitting that heightened, like, I'm about to snap. I'm about to snap on somebody right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I can step away and go to the bathroom and like be like, why why am I feeling at a 10? Yeah. You know, do whatever techniques you need. For me, I have to swallow. Like I feel this not rise in my chest and throat to the point where it feels like this lump in my throat I can't get rid of and I want to just let it out and instead I swallow it down until it goes mm-hmm. away um, but that's literally something I learned in the last two weeks so sorry <laughs> for anyone prior to two weeks ago and let's hope I can create some habitual habits there <laughs> but no guarantees it's <laughs> great well, back to the person who's learning to find out what makes her heart sing. Oh, what yeah. Would, what would sorry. you say to her? <laughs> no, you're great. This, this is great. I love that. Um, you know, I think we all have 
something that really makes our hearts come alive. And I think those change mm-hmm. with seasons. It's okay that you, something yeah. that makes your heart sing now is not the same thing as a few years ago. And, yeah. and it might not be the same thing you have, you know, years to come, but trying to really figure out like what makes my heart sing and then creating a plan on how to monetize that is, is really what I, I think allows you to live in a place career wise where you are creating an atmosphere that you really, truly love. Um, I read something recently, I think by a writer named Adam Grant. I think I'm quoting the right person. But he talked about like, there's actually, yes, there's work-life balance. But what if you also just found a way to do something, you know, that really did make you come alive? Mm -hmm. um, And then it wouldn't feel as much the need to work-life balance. Um, But I don't know if work-life balance is a real thing. I, I I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. I, I, well, we joked about, we joke about this all the time, but there's three things I never teach on. It's parenting, marriage, and balance. <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> no clue about any of those. Um, I think when you're, when you're trying to figure out though, what makes your heart sing, what, what's important to remember is that as you pursue, as you create a plan to go after that thing that we have to remember, there's going to be emotional hurdles along the way. Um, And some of those things are really facing your fear. It's about taking ownership over some character Mm -hmm. flaws that you may have. That's going to stop you from getting where you want to go or, or ruin relationship. Yeah. Um, And that what you practice is going to get stronger and that can be both good or bad, right? If yeah. you practice gossip a lot, it's going to get stronger. You're not going to yeah. get better at it. You're going to, it's that muscle is going to actually increase. And so yeah. being really thoughtful around like, what am I practicing that's going to get stronger? How can I use fear as my barometer to step into something new and not something that's going to push me away? Um, Talk yeah. more about that, about fear being your barometer. Um. And then, t- yeah, I'm going to make a note and then taking ownership, right? Because we did, we talked about owning our 10% at the last one. So I want to make sure yeah. we do that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things when using fear as a barometer, I used to, I shouldn't say I used to, I've always been a little bit of a risk taker. And I, you're, yeah. you and I are very similar in this. We're like, what's going on? Hell yeah, I'm in. Like, we don't care. <laughs> to the point where it's concerning. <laughs> I remember this one time this girl stole my phone out of my diaper bag. I was at a pizza place. I remember this. Oh my gosh. And I went to the cashier and I'm like, Hey, I see you have a camera in here. Is there any way you can play back whoever to my, to my diaper bag? And they were like, whatever, wherever we were, it was just right out of the shot, of course. Um, but I came back and a different lady was like, Hey, what's going on? I said, Oh, my phone got stolen. And she was like, I think I know who did it. And I was like, really? And she's like, well, I'm at a party with this girl. I met, we're here at a birthday party with this girl. And I know that that's her thing. Like she brought it up in group before they were in like some group therapy. And I was like, well, do you know where she lives? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, can you take me there right now? <laughs> I had my kids with me. Clearly I have a diaper bag. I have a baby with me. And I put my kids in the minivan garage, drove right to that crackhead's house in this trailer park. I really care. I pulled in and all these tweakers, it was raining. They were working on bikes. They like looked at me like rats in a sewer getting a flashlight on them. It was awful. And I just, I, this is, uh, this was a long time ago. I just want to give this disclaimer. So I locked my kids in the car and I was like, mom, we'll be right back. Don't leave the car. <laughs> like, I just walked right in their house. I didn't even knock. I just walked right in the the trailer and. 
So crazy. I was like, is so-and-so here? And they like pointed at the back. There's like a blanket wall. There wasn't even a door. I just walked <laughs> through the blanket and the girl looks at me and grabbed her wallet and grabbed my <laughs> wallet and handed it to me. I'm like, <laughs> and I just witnessed to her, but I, just this <laughs> level of fearlessness, um, I think exists when you've lived through a lot. Yeah. And so it, you become almost desensitized yeah. to, um, to things that normal people that regular that we should be normally afraid of or cautious of right um because you know that there's some real calculated risk yes Uh, um but when you've been you know I was trafficked for six years I walked the streets I've been to jail I've been attacked I've been I've been Mm -hmm. locked in rooms I've had guns pulled on me I've been sexually assaulted I mean when you've had when you've lived through so much it's kind of like what are you afraid of yeah. Yeah. What, and, and how worse could it be? Like, right. I've already been through worse than walking in this lady's trailer. I'm not worried about it. But yeah. the, the problem is, is that even without that, even without this desensitization to fear, yeah. sometimes we can allow fear to stop us from like going and talking to somebody at a party that, yeah. and I don't mean like a party party, but like a networking event. Right. There's oftentimes people that we should approach because it's going to assist mm-hmm. us in where we're wanting to go to make our heart sink, yeah. you know, plan. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, oh, I feel uncomfortable or I don't know what to say or I don't want to talk to them. And what's all that's doing is stopping you from, yeah. and usually the thing that you fear, feel the most fear, like use that as the barometer to go, maybe I should do that. Maybe if I feel the most fear from that one person, that's who I should go talk to at the event. Yeah. Um, or maybe that's who I should go make friends with at this new company or church or whatever it is that yeah. you're feeling afraid of. I just want to encourage people to lean into the fear and, and use it as a check engine light on which direction to go. Because I think yeah. I think you'd be surprised. You did this when our at our last speaking engagement together, John Douglas. Oh, yeah. John Douglas. Yeah, he was um, John Douglas. For those who maybe don't catch it right away, he's an author. He's a former FBI agent. And um, he his, created the phrase serial killer. He did. Yeah. He created the phrase serial killer. So exciting. Okay. In the 70s. I know. I, I, know. I think it was even earlier, wasn't it? It was. Well, I think he was that. like a new agent in the 70s and he started researching all the murders that were similar. And he was like, there's like a series of them. They're like uh-huh. serial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so cool. So he he was in that crew and that show Mindhunter is, is based off his book. Mind Hunters on Netflix, and it's it's like a real dark, gritty, criminal minds, and so um, it's intense. So just giving that disclaimer. But um, you, he was speaking at the same event you were speaking at, and um, <laughs> it was the last time I traveled for your company and um, with you, and um, you weren't there when it started because you had a previous engagement somewhere else. So you were showing up just in time to get, uh, be there to speak at your session. So he happened to be at the beginning. You were toward the end. He was leaving as soon as he was done and you weren't going to make it in time. And so you said, Hey, I need, I want this guy's, uh, information. I want to get connected with him. I need you to go into the speaker's dinner and talk to him and get him my info. And um, I was like, okay. (laughs) Now I'm down. I'm excited. But at the same time, I am scared. Like, it's not like. (laughs) I also don't like being where I'm not invited. Right? Like, that's not. 
even though I'm bold, like, and I think a lot of people find that surprising when bold people are scared. Yeah. Like, oh no, I was terrified the whole time. I just was more excited to do it than I was terrified, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. or more curious about the outcome. Right. And so, um, I knew this mattered to you too. So it mattered to you. It mattered to me. And, um, so I didn't go in blind though. I went and found somebody that knew me and you, Rebecca Charleston. And she, I was like, Rebecca, you're, you're at the dinner, right? Can I walk in with you? <laughs> she was like, <laughs> yeah. So I walk in and kind of scan the place and figure out like, what's the best approach. I watch him engage with some people kind of monitor, like how are people approaching him and is he approachable? Right. And mm-hmm. so he was a kindly man. And so I just, you know, joined the group that are standing around talking with him. Like I belong there. And, uh, <laughs> and uh I eventually got the opportunity to talk to him and mention you and he was more than happy to talk with you so we exchanged information and then I got to stand there and chat with him while he talked to me about um Charles Manson John Wayne Gacy oh wow and he's having he's like telling me all about like sitting and interviewing with them and and what it was like and I was that's pretty cool Oh my gosh, it was so cool. And then he took a photo with me. It was fun. And uh, yeah, he was, he was a cool guy, but uh, that was scary. But (laughs) yeah, you know, but facing your fears and, you know, using that to go after you accomplished so much, you got this really cool, you know, experience and we got a great endorsement on our book and um, he's been a really great guy to, to talk to throughout a lot of the things that we've been working on projects that we've been working on. And it's helped me in my own pursuit, right? So now when I'm scared to talk to somebody for myself instead of for you, like a lot of times, right, it's easier to do something for someone else mm-hmm. than it is for yourself. But now my nervous system has that experience to do it for you. I'm like, okay, I can do this for myself. Go yeah. talk to the person that I might be nervous to chat with or whatever. Yeah, you're really yeah. good at that. <laughs> I love people. Hopefully they, that comes across. So I think it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I want, I want you to talk about ownership because you talked about that on the episode that didn't record. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, one of, I mean, yeah, we just brought it up too, just a minute ago about when you're, when you're going after something that makes your heart sing, all these barriers that get in the way, fear, um, taking responsibility and, um, what else was it? We, we said one, we said one other one and now I'm drawing a blank. We just went over it, but, um, I, you and I heard actually a session at the global leadership summit a while back, it was several years ago, and it was all about owning your 10%. And I really, it really stuck with me because I tend to, um, I, I think I take ownership for things that I've done fairly well. Um, but I can always grow in that. Uh, but I also at the time had, people around me that um, personally, not professionally, that just really never could take ownership over anything. And that's like Mm -hmm. so annoying when you're (laughs) someone who's like always needing the last word, nothing is their responsibility, completely deflect, point the blame on others. It's just one of the most toxic character habits ever. And so I loved this idea of like trying to step into a conversation with someone where even if you feel like you didn't do anything wrong, 
to just identify the one thing that maybe you could have done different, owning your 10%, the, the speaker called it. And it was really great to think of like, what, what's one thing I could have done different? Like, okay, maybe I could have communicated that a little bit more thoroughly, or maybe I could have checked in to ensure that they were, I was communicating, like whatever it is that you can right. think of, but right. stepping into a conversation by owning your 10%, um, not only brings down the offense from the other person that you're trying to talk to, but it's really a great way to create some habitual patterns around taking responsibility because a lot of times you'll see that it's, it's not just one thing and it's not just 10%. There's actually a, a, quite a bit that we can yes. all figure out. And then once you, once you own and identify it, that actually allows um, our minds to create space to make new habits, I think, yes. of like, oh, you know what, I don't want to do that again. And now I'm going to be more thoughtful of that next time. And um, that's But if you actually, don't go on that discovery journey, you'll never figure that out. Yeah, it's true. That was the first time I ever heard it within like a leadership context. Um, I actually, that tool, um, my therapist introduced me to like 10 years ago, 12 years ago mm -hmm. when, um, when it came to owning like my part in, in something really terrible that happened to me mm. and, um, they were like, can you just find your 1%? She, she didn't even say 10. She's like, can, oh, you, find, can you find your 1%? And I could, I could find, she's like, what can you own? Cause none of us are completely guiltless. And in, in this scenario, it matched, like I wasn't being raped or, you know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to present something that's not like, it's extremely abusive or something. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to find my 1% and my 1% being able to go, oh, here's what I can grab onto mm -hmm. allowed, allowed me to focus more on that. And cause I couldn't control their part. I can't. I can't do any of that. And so it's like that 1% that I can grab. How did I not handle that? Well, oh, mm -hmm. here's how I didn't handle that. Well, and, um, it's super helpful in many, many ways. It's such a good tool. Yeah. That's interesting. I love that. What, what would something be that you could give an example of when, when something harmful has happened to you, how do you try to take 1% responsibility? Like, give me some examples. Well, I'll just give the real example I'm talking about. Um, okay. <laughs> um, back when I was in a church that was cultish and it was a high control group, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a cult, but it was a high control group. It was a authoritarian type environment. And um, in the end, I got accused of all kinds of stuff that was not true. It was absolutely a lie. Um, it was just the leadership the man in charge, his way of trying to control it all, make me the villain. So everyone would hate me. Mm -hmm. um, and that just, it was really hard for me to get past that kind of attack and assault from people who were supposed to love you and, mm -hmm. and be on your team. And um, they've been my community for a very long time. And so um, the only, like the way that I was able to let go, because literally like I saw, I kind of saw it where like the, the pastor was, had like a rope around his waist and he's walking off into the sunset, but I had mm -hmm. the rope, like I was loosely letting the rope just run over my hand, but I wasn't holding on. I was like, I'm not holding on forgiveness. I'm just like letting it hang out, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but I got to drop the rope when I said, 
here's my percentage. And I did not handle this part right or that part right. I didn't speak. I, I should have walked away at this part instead of fighting about it. Mm. Right. And so um, getting to own those parts, let me let go of all the other parts. Because when we can label it and name it, then we our brain can make sense of it. And we can work on that part. I can't work on his part. I can only work on my part. And so I actually enjoy finding parts that I can own because I can work on that. I can't, yeah. I can't work on anybody else's part. And I think that's, for me personally, gets me stuck. That's where I get stuck in unforgiveness, where I can't get past it or let it go. So that's been, ever since then, that's been my, my tool. It's like, okay, I can't control their part or if they're going to make it right or anything. What's my part? I need to, I live as an honorable person. I need to be able to lay my head down at night. Here's what I can own. Here's what I can change. doesn't mean that I'm going to that person and, and doing that resolve with them necessarily. Cause I never did. I never went back and said, here's where I handled it wrong. No, it was a toxic environment, a toxic situation. I needed to get away from that. Yeah. But within myself, I was able to do the work I wanted to do to become a better person. Yeah. Steve Furtick said, um, you don't have to burn a bridge, but you can always check the weight limit. <laughs> and I love that idea of like, kind of like you're saying, you don't have to go back mm-hmm. and talk, talk to them yeah. and have, find resolution and redemption. No. It doesn't, you don't have to do that, especially places that are abusive. Yeah. Um, but you absolutely can be like, stop, you carry too much baggage for me and your yeah. weight will not cross over this bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Back where you came from. Uh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you that question. Um, when it comes to your heart singing, hmm. where are you at today? How are you navigating what makes your heart sing? You know, I'm in a really interesting season right now where I feel like I'm in limbo mm-hmm. between two things. One that I really want that makes my heart sing, um, but I haven't yet been able to attain. And um, frustration that I'm still at a place where it used to make my heart sing, but I, it, it doesn't as much anymore. And I, I'd like to get to the next season, but I'm just not there. And I feel very much in this limbo season. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's, it's quite frustrating, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I was, I was just sharing with a, a different friend the other day about um, another book that I've been kind of working on for years that I know we'll I'll write eventually, but there's a part of it. It's kind of about like grieving the loss of an ideal. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think of all of, I think of so many people that have had dreams that didn't turn out the way they expected, even when trying hard, even when going after the thing that makes your heart sing, even when planning and pivoting and taking responsibility and facing the fear and like all the things that you can do all the things right. And it still doesn't always turn out. I mean, look at every athlete who worked their whole lives to go pro. I mean, private coaching sessions and camps and D1 you know, multi-sport high school, the collegiate mm-hmm. level, like, you know, so many things I, I, you know, you know, anyone who's listening, I have a, I have a daughter that's a division one athlete, first team, all American athlete. And so I see the work that goes into athletes, um, lives, right. The sacrifice they make, the self-discipline, the determination. And so I think of all of the young 
athletes who, who get signed pro and then get injured or cut their first season and, Mm -hmm. and how so much of their identity is wrapped up in their athleticism, that their identity is, is completely shaken of like, what do I do now? And, and I think of women, I, you know, I know women that have miscarried or given birth to a stillborn baby or whose child ended up with a disability that the family was not expecting. And yeah, and that just changed the way their family was going to have to operate, whether that, that baby was blind or, or other variety of factors that have happened. Right. And it's just this moment where, for me, where I'm in this limbo season where I'm processing and journaling this limbo of feeling like, what do you do when your dream takes a very radical, very different radical shift than you thought? And how do you grieve the loss of your ideals of, of what you thought things were going to be like? while still holding on to like hope and joy and not letting like bitterness and resent. It's, it's not easy to like hold all of that in one space and allow yourself time. And I feel like we all get thrown these like cliche coffee mug mantras of like, well, do one door shut, just another. We're like, shut up, Debbie. Don't nobody want to hear that mess <laughs> when you're grieving, no, you know? No. And I think it's, it's less likely to hear that when it's, when it's a physical grief that you can see right yeah. someone someone losing a child someone right. a child losing a parent like right. it's easier to hold space and empathy and um and not say those those comments but when it's something that wasn't yet there and you're just hoping for um i feel like we just throw things at each other this this rhetoric that doesn't allow space for like a season of grief to go yeah okay this is going to look really different than i thought and that i've been working for and planning and preparing and now everything has changed and I feel back to the drawing board and it's it's discouraging um and yet I just have to put one foot in front of the other and Mm -hmm. some days take one day at a time and and not try to plan in this season but to go what do I have on my calendar today and this is all I'm going to focus on for today yeah. Um, cause it's just hard. Like grieving, grieving is hard regardless of what it is that you lost. Yeah. Um, obviously some things a lot harder than others for sure, yeah. but yeah. And grieving gets difficult. Um, it's hard. If you have a strong inner critic, you're, you're not going to grieve as easily as somebody who doesn't because your inner critic is going to bully you out of grieving. Hmm. You, should, you should not be struggling like that. Get over it. Why is this so hard still? you should be done with this by now. Like all the things that we can tell ourselves because of our inner bully. And um, Pete Walker says that the doorway to emotional health is grieving. Mm. And it's so, interesting. Yeah. I find too, like for myself, I, I mean, I have some inner critic, of course, but what I, I more find than anything is to compartmentalize mm. and um, disassociate. Like, okay, well, Next thing, back to the drawing board. Eternal optimist, eternal builder, eternal, well, everything happens for a reason. Here we go. Let's figure out the next plan. Instead of like, why don't you just stop for a minute and let your heart like actually feel disappointment? Mm-hmm. It's okay to like mm-hmm. be upset and cry and take a minute. Yeah. And then, yeah, dust yourself off, get up, get back in the ring. But I feel like I never allow that. It's just like, nope, get in the ring, get in the ring, get in the ring. And it's a distraction mechanism um, that I use as escapism, so to speak, mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. not have to face some of the feelings that I'm having because yeah. <laughs> they're hard. And 
and you don't want to complain about, you know, like I'm very grateful for everything. Um, I'm really, really grateful. I, my life should be very different than it is today. And I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah. Um, but there's things that I really worked hard for that are falling apart. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> just hard to be yeah. like, all right, well, that was a lot of years of building for nothing. And yeah. it's hard. It's hard to just sit in that space of grief. And, and especially when you want to jump in and fix it and jump to the next thing and that there's, that nothing is happening. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. no, I don't want to stay in this limbo. How much longer till I can build? <laughs> <laughs> Distract me quickly. Oh, but I'm glad I'm in therapy because then it helps me. <laughs> it's good. It's so good. Yes. I think everyone should be in therapy. <laughs> yeah. It's just so expensive. We got to figure out ways to make therapy more affordable for the average person. I know. I know. Well, Rebecca, as we wrap this up, um, I want to end with this question. Is there something, is there a topic or a question that you don't get to speak on that much that you'd like to maybe give some final thoughts on? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, obviously I share a lot about my story of, of overcoming human trafficking and, and, you know, tips for professionals that want to identify and respond, that they want to investigate and prosecute or the average, average, you know, normal person. That's not a, a law enforcement officer, or a medical professional that wants to keep their kids safe and they want to know what to look for. And, and so I, I love talking about those things. Those are, those are great. I'm, I'm glad to make a difference. Um, I think I don't get to talk about this pursuing purpose, pursuing what makes your heart sing and, and what some of those emotional hurdles are that stop us from getting there in anything you want to build. For me, I built a nonprofit. Um, I built a nonprofit that um, I think is you know, doing exceptional work because uh, yeah. we have a great team. And, yeah. and I'm really grateful for, for those opportunities. I think one of the things I think we don't allow, we don't talk about enough and we don't allow space for is for people to grow. Mm. I think we live in this social media world or everything and every thought and opinion that you have is captured consistently. Yeah. And let alone 14 years ago, that's a long time, but even in just the last four, like the way I, yeah. I think of things has changed a lot in the last four years. And yes. yes, me too. And I have a, you know, I have a 22 year old and a 12 year old. And I just, it was just the other day, actually, my 22 year old was like, I started a Facebook page when I was 12. Do you know the type of stuff I posted? Like, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Girl, I, I was embarrassed of something I posted four years ago, let alone when I was 12. Are you kidding? Like, what would it be like for us to grow up so publicly today? You know, and, and we haven't, I don't know how the next generations are going to handle this. I'm, I'm grateful I didn't grow up <laughs> Me online. Too. But even so, I'm growing up now, and there's things that I, I think differently about now. And um, I just don't think we give enough space to let people grow and go, you know, well, let's see how they do. Yeah, let's see how they respond this time. Or let's see how they, we just yeah. don't. We, we have a lot of judgment really quickly about people instead of like, oh, they're in a season. They'll get through that. Or maybe they, they will get through it, and it won't be the same opinion as yours. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, we see that so much in our political world, and, and it's, it's just... Um, it's hard because I find it so polarizing instead of like, it's okay for everyone. To, it's okay to think different. It's okay yeah. to let people figure out where they stand on issues. It's okay yeah. to change how you feel about something years later. Um, it's okay to collect and gather research and then reconsider how you see something 
um, I know I already brought up Adam, Adam Grant, but he had a, wrote a really great book called um, Think Again. And it was really about approaching everything like a scientist where you don't actually have a conclusion right. and that you're gathering lots of different perspectives before you form one. But that's just not how most of us are. And so we're posting on social media all these varying you know, perspectives. And then years later, you may or may not agree with those. And so, yeah, I think that's something to just, as we, I just, I think it's interesting. I think I find fascinating to talk about is like, how are we giving room for people to grow? Um, yeah. Shoot, man. I'm, we are. I am not the same person I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I do not think the same way. I do not feel the same way. And um, I do agree that we need to give more room for people to grow and change and that you know if someone failed 15 years ago that we're not calling them out on it now as if they're they've never changed right but that's yeah. a there's a a curiosity and a questioning to figure out have they changed yeah and leaving room for that yeah, yeah. i didn't know i mean when i started sharing my story 14 years ago i didn't know that you could vet journalists. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh. I just, I just said yes to anyone that inquired. Um, and I've gone on shows and done interviews with people that I would never go on their podcast today or their radio show today, because I don't agree with any of their values. Um, yeah. but I didn't know that back then. And so I did, I just, you know, in my tiny little farm town in Oregon, no mentor, just taking any inquiry that comes in. I didn't know, like, why don't you look into who they are and what they, I just didn't know. I was just mm -hmm. new and green and excited to try to get my message of trafficking out and said yes to any opportunity. And, and I wish I would have been a little, I wish someone would have, that's partly why we started Elevate to kind of be the mentors that we never had. Yeah. To be able yeah. to pull people aside and say, Hey, you know, you, you can vet these people and you can see what other work they do and where they stand on issues and make sure it's something you want to align with. And man, I wish I would have had someone teach me that because there are some things I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe everyone on that person's show. <laughs> so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. What can you do? <sighs> uh, that's the thing about growing up online. <laughs> yep. Hopefully it's our been... kids are learning that stuff sooner than we are. <laughs> we have got to teach our kids these very, very things, you know? It's crazy. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, Rebecca, thank you for coming on again a second time to record. Yes. <laughs> I hope we got as much. <laughs> it was fun it was great I really loved this and so I hope I want to I do want to have you come back on and maybe we can talk about um how I discovered my mom was human trafficked yes I would yeah. love that such an incredible story it really is and you were a huge pivotal part of that and so Aww. yeah honored. yeah honored. called me out on my shit <laughs> <laughs> well we'll definitely do episode two <laughs> yes episode two <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, I wanted to let you guys all know that uh, sessions are open with me. So my books are open. If you've been wanting to book sessions with me, you can do that at MelanieHugger.com. Also, while you're there, you can sign up for my email so that you're notified when the book that I've been writing with my daughter is complete and launched. We have some fun things planned for that, book clubs and other things. So if you want to be in the know about that, sign up for that email list. And 
for the sessions. If you're wondering if we're even a fit and how that would work, we can book a discovery call. It's just a 10 minute call. You can check that out at melaniehugger.com as well. Thanks for listening.